0: From Konigstein Road in the east to Casitas Gap in the west, an orange curtain has descended across the Ojai Valley. This is Ojai Talk of the Town. Hey everyone, Brett Bradigan here, Ojai Quarterly, Ojai Monthly. Uh, last, this current issue, uh, Kit Stoltz did a wonderful review of T.C. Boyle's dystopian, comic, dark, hysterical, eye opening, inspirational book. Blue Skies, so I got to spend an hour and a half with him, talked about virtually everything. So stay tuned, you'll learn about this book, about future projects, his brilliant career, and even some ghost stories. Hello sir, thank you for uh, giving me some of your time here. I'm really keen to get this, this uh, interview.
1: My pleasure, Brett. I hear you're an Ohioan. Uh, Yes. Ohioan. Ohioan. Ohioan, Yes. We do get over there once in a while, but of course we're very provincial here in Montecito. It's hard for us even to get into Santa Barbara from here.
0: Going to uh, Ventura from Ohio feels like, you know, the Lord of the Rings trek sometimes.
1: It's a journey. The freeway is getting more and more uh, congested all the time, but it's nothing compared to my former commute to USC from here. Twice a week, in season, I was a real road warrior. Uh, a few years back, I got tired of the commute, and I don't like the term retired. I like to say, rather than retired, I'm pre-dead. <laughs> <laughs> the staging ground. But it's, uh, it's been relaxing not to go down there. However, I do miss the teaching, and I do miss my students, because it gave me, at first it was two days a week, and then eventually one day a week, uh, the opportunity to get out of my own head and talk about what I love most in the whole world with people who are eager and smart. And I don't get that anymore.
0: Well, they, that might describe a few of our listeners.
1: <laughs> <laughs>
0: so this property is quite remarkable. You were telling me a little bit about one uh, of Frank Lloyd rights. In fact, the last prairie
1: house. It's the last prairie house, as I learned from uh, Robert Lynn Uli's book about the house, uh, which he published earlier this year. Um, This is his first California house, 1909. And what I learned from Uli's book is that that he only did 50 prairie houses, and this was the last one. So it's great. And I also, as I mentioned to you earlier, uh, I also realized that there's a ghost in the house. I didn't know. Uh, I thought it was simply the rats, and there are plenty of rats here. But uh, I learned from his book that um, Mrs. Stewart, this is the Stewart House,
0: who commissioned,
1: commissioned the place. She died of TB in her bed in our bedroom. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so maybe it's she. Maybe she's having conversations with the rats in the middle of the night. So those little noises, I don't know.
0: Yeah. No, no levitations or.
1: Not yet. No.
0: No things getting moved.
1: You know, maybe that'll happen once I'm dead. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Well, it's really it's quite
0: quite a a really fascinating place. It's like living in this. I don't know what you call it. Just it's a combination of spaciousness and coziness.
1: Well, great. Yeah, we're we're pretty happy. 30 years we've been here, and uh, I never get tired of the views. Of course, all the windows need to be cleaned, and nobody cleans them, so I have to get the window cleaner in here eventually.
0: Yeah, the windows are the eyes of the house.
1: Yeah, it's, it's 172 windows, I think, wrapped all around. Uh, Franklin Wright believed that uh, not only should you use natural, uh, naturally occurring materials to build from the area in which you build, so the house is made of redwood, but also that nature is the painting on the wall. So all around is windows, and we're looking out into the woods here. Uh, Initially, this was a five-acre property, uh, and it came in off of Butterfly Lane. So the front of the house, nobody ever sees, because I'll show you later, it faces east that way. Um, Mrs. Blickenstaff, the second owner, sold off, the, the property just next door, so her son could have a house, okay. and then this other property in back was the gate, uh, the um, the carriage house before there were automobiles. It was the carriage house, and that has been sold off too, and somebody else lives there. So the whole estate is narrowed down. Uh, Good thing because we could never, a lot to keep up. We could probably never have afforded it either if it was five acres. You know. So here we are, and history has changed, and the house faces into the woods now, and uh, no one gets to see that except friends, family, and of course journalists.
0: (laughs) Uh, Well, I I feel honored. Really appreciate. So. I guess one of the things I wanted to talk about is your latest book because I just finished it and I really enjoyed it. I thought the ending was a great twist. I really didn't know how you were going to wrap it up and it just... Endings are hard.
1: Uh, That was well done. Yeah, I work organically. I work uh, uh, in a kind of dream. Obviously, and with any writer or artist of any kind, you're mainly letting uh, you're mainly being improvisatory you don't know what it will be i don't never mm-hmm. know what it will be but of course there is a controlling mind somewhere in there and it shapes it and i don't know what the ending will be until i get there
0: hmm so you don't reverse engineer
1: no i don't i i uh i pride myself in in writing well and uh, and and beautifully you know, yes, I well, love the beautiful sentences I love the rhythm I uh, always have res- uh, music playing when I'm working hmm. for the rhythm of it uh, but I don't write an outline or anything like that it would be too artificial I think it, it's it's difficult for- to do what I'm doing but it's it is an improvisation and so it surprises me so I hope it surprises you too um, of course I'm calculating as I see where it's going and what's happening but it's not preformed you know mm-hmm. that would ruin it that would i wouldn't want to do it if all it oh, the pre-formed. spontaneity yeah well
0: some of the sentences are just so beautiful they just like i just gasp almost like you oh, describe the dry g- grass is like a million mat sticks ready to combust yeah i was like yes that's exactly what it feels like when you're out there in the in the grass sometimes
1: oh well thank you uh Again, that's what I hope to do, is to write something that's beautiful and also affecting. And of course, as you well know, this is my 31st book, I have discovered what my main themes are, and, and a lot of them have to do with uh, with nature and our place in nature mm-hmm. especially. And this book, uh, Blue Skies, is a companion piece to the year 2000 book A Friend of the Earth, which mm. projected to 2026 and had in it uh, fires, floods and a pandemic as well. So yes, I was very prophetic and now we're we're here and we're living with it. Yeah. So I felt I'd write a book set in the very now and in the very near future to see how regular people, regular families are dealing with the catastrophe of climate change. Mm-hmm. And so we have uh, a single family uh, the daughter uh, Kat is the heroine and she has moved with her boyfriend to Florida coastal Florida because, from here from Santa Barbara yeah, near uh, St. Augustine yes near St. Augustine because his mother died and left him a beach house Which sounds great. It sounds great until you go (laughs) through the book. (laughs) Yeah, and so they're a young couple; they can never afford to buy a house at any place. But now they have a beach house, so they move out there. Uh, One of the ironies of the book and and in, in my life, I have a close friend in Saint Augustine, is that we are parched. And dying for a drop of water, and the coastal areas in Florida are being flooded by the king tides mm-hmm. and by the ever-rising ocean. So I wanted to contrast the two.
0: Yeah, but even like the little details about how the how the uh, tap water tastes. And you can imagine, you know, the salinity going up as it gets flooded and all the the murk and the... The rot, the the festering swamplands, the way you describe that. It's like, oh, I don't know if I really want to go to Florida.
1: I I love rot, and I love festering swamplands. My first novel is called Water Music, and it's about the um, exploration of West Africa by Mungo Hmm. Park, who was the first European to reach the Niger River. Uh, I had a great time with festering murk in that book. Yeah.
0: Well, what was that book? Uh, Hanning and or, <clears throat> John Hanning Speak and Richard Burton. There was a great novel that came out back uh, in the seventies. The yes, the
1: of the Moon? yes, yes. I read a lot of that stuff uh, in preparation for writing Water Music, uh, which is set in seventeen ninety five and, and years oh, wow. after. A lot of what I was inspired by, too, was, was sort of our view of Africa, the filmic Africa, the Tarzan, and what is the darkest continent. But also, I had just finished my PhD in 19th century British literature, so I was uh, absorbed in, in uh, that period and, and the end of the uh, previous century. Um, and a lot of the literary inspiration was coming from the big three-volume novels of that period,
0: the three volume novels? So.
1: Yeah, yeah, they, yeah, you know, like Dickens and uh, oh, Trollope course, and so on. Yeah. Thackeray. Thackeray. They, uh, they were all, all in three volumes. They were really so mammoth, you know. Well, Dickens
0: wrote by the word, so he yeah. was incentivized to
1: yeah. keep if, those you know, stories again, going. Yeah, time, time has changed. If, uh, if I had the great miracle of being, uh, having to be published weekly. Serialized in a, in a magazine that everybody was reading weekly, I wouldn't be talking to you now. You'd be busy, of course. I would never stop. Yeah, it would be gr- a great incentive.
0: Well, just the idea of literature as a as a popular medium—you know, the the tens of thousands of people that would line up around the harbor to get the new pages from Dickens, you know, Little Nell or Davy Copperfield.
1: And- exactly, we need our entertainment. Uh, we have it in a different form now, for the most part. We have it uh, on film, uh, uh, delivered to us. Uh, but in his day, he was the whole thing. He was a great stage performer as well. Mm-hmm. So he was like the Rolling Stones and uh, and TV uh, and great movies mm-hmm. all wrapped up and in TikTok. one guy. And yeah. TikTok, yeah. <laughs> he was everything. And uh, a little jealous, of course, of that period. Well, you
0: do. You're a great public speaker. You you work the circuit. I love
1: Yes, I love to give readings, dramatic readings of my work, and to turn people on. Nothing better than a dark hole in a stage, and they wonder, well, what's going on? And what's going on is you're going to get a story uh, as well as I can act it uh, in the way that we all first learned about stories. You know, In my case, it was my mother reading to me. She taught me how to read. Hmm. Uh, uh, the magic of that. And I like to keep that alive. Yeah.
0: What were some of the early books that really got to you? When I was a little, a, mm-hmm. a
1: little kid? A little kid. One thing I remember, and I must have been five or six or something. Our local, I grew up in Peekskill, New York, in Westchester mm-hmm. County. Hudson River Valley. On the Hudson River, yeah. Beautiful country, by the way. It is, and I'm going to go back next week uh, yes. and see everybody <clears throat> again, because I have a gig back there. Um, in any case, our local paper, the Peekskill Evening Star would serialize a Christmas story daily in the paper for the 25 days till it was Christmas. And my mom would come home from work and read that to me every day. And, you know, I don't remember exactly, but it's got it's kind of kids and there are elves and his woods and there's Santa Claus and everything. And I was just fascinated, absolutely fascinated. When I learned to read on my own, uh, we were right across the street from the library and I would oh, wow. check out animal books
0: did you have a favorite librarian who kind of
1: no I didn't I was too little I didn't know anything about that Uh, no Uh, I just went for the books novels for kids that gave the point of view of an animal I remember one was about the key deer the dwarf deer that live on the the keys it just fascinated me so it, it it gave me my love of literature I think uh, in that period, also of nature, of mm-hmm. of, uh, of being alone in nature and, uh, and absorbing it, and uh, what are the creatures doing? What are they thinking? Where are they? What do they eat? What do they do? All of that has continued to fascinate me, as readers can see throughout all of my books.
0: Mm-hmm. Definitely, the theme of this book, which uh, I just. There's something about the characters. I'm not sure what it is. There's like an earnestness and a fecklessness. I mean, you can't dislike them, even though they're flawed people. But I feel like those flaws are how you get into the character. Does that sound right? Like if they yeah.
1: were virtues, you get more from their flaws than their virtues, don't you? <laughs> I like that. Uh, I think the most difficult thing to, to write is a character who is, uh, is good and and lovable and uh and without flaws mm-hmm. um yes these characters all have flaws but so do we all except me of course i'm perfect but that, yes. this way i can look well down you're the one you're the creator yeah, you're yeah, creating this. you have that omniscience so that from the beginning of the book <clears> the cat in florida is bored because um, her husband is having his car detailed he's a fanatic and so she's walking around in, in, in this town, and uh, she comes across a store that sells reptiles. Herp. Herps. And on a, um, a whim, she goes in, and she buys a Burmese python because she likes its pattern, as if mm-hmm. she's picking out a dress or something. They're beautiful and creatures. They are. And mm-hmm. she envisions herself wearing it around her neck when she goes out to attract attention because she is um, uh, an influencer on the internet Mm -hmm. and so that's how the whole book starts off and also has a whole subtext about ecology and invasive species
0: yeah well many of your books do but this one I think really really just feels so current with everything going on and it's just
1: I have to address it, brett i i I worry about everything all the time, everything in the entire mm-hmm. world, and I don't really know how to address it other than through fiction because I don't know exactly how I feel until I work out my feelings on the yeah. page. So I've never been uh it's never been my ambition to be a man of letters to give speeches or to write essays, although I have done a little mm-hmm. bit of those. No, I just want to be an artist because as we said earlier, it's kind of magical. I don't know what it's going to be. And uh, I'll tell you, there's tremendous exhilaration in in getting to the end and seeing that it's right. Mm-hmm. Um, I have an essay out there in the world. You can also find it at com called This Monkey, My Back, in which I liken the production of art, in this case writing, mm-hmm. to a kind of drug addiction. So... You feel this exhilaration, especially when I'm writing short stories. It's 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 amazing. It's it's the greatest feeling ever. It's come together. It's just right. Wow, where did it come from? But you have an addiction, so the next day you've oh, got to get that <laughs> you need fix. more. You need that fix. I think it's kind of I joke about it, but I think it's a kind of obsessive compulsive behavior. Uh, on my end, it's the same thing. The reader's getting on the other end. That is. Mm-hmm. a way out of our own consciousness, which is an oppression and a burden, which is why we're drunk and drug addicted all the time. Well,
0: yeah, that's the drinking is definitely a motif in this book. Mm-hmm. Yes. There's a lot of that going on and not in a stumbling falling down way, but just a casual you know, the, it gets early or earlier in the day. It did remind me of the pandemic, how it was like, oh, it sick yeah, right? what else are you going to do? Yeah. But
1: in this case, uh, <clears throat> cats husband Todd is an ambassador for the Bacardi company so his job is to go around to various groups and throw a party yeah well he seems like a
0: natural <laughs> at it it seems like from the way you describe him this is what he was, he was meant to he do he was born
1: to it you know the frat boy who never grew up
0: well he certainly found his calling mm-hmm Yeah. Well, he's a complex character. I I don't see any cutouts in this book. Everybody seems to have an interior life. Well, I'm glad that you see it that way. Uh, I'm honored. Um, Do any of your characters live on beyond the books?
1: uh, I don't have recurring characters, but but do you think about them? Not so often, Uh, though. I've never been interested so much in sequels, although of the last couple of books of stories, I've been writing a series of... Of, of, of stories with this character, Riley, who is a writer. I never wanted to write about writers because that's what writers always write about because they don't know anything else. So I resisted that, but I've written about every possible thing in the universe, and I thought, okay, I'll write about a writer. So uh, in this latest collection actually it was it, that the one in uh well in the, new yorker. The, one in the new yorker was the fourth in the series and i'm thinking someday in the future mm-hmm. i might have a, a book of these stories with this guy in it there are four of them now and it takes him two stages of his life uh i have a lot of fun with them and i have uh, some reason they have some autobiographical content but he's not me exactly um uh, i don't know what it is with those stories they They're they're very fine-tuned somehow, linguistically. I'm not exactly sure why that is. And more so, I think, even than some of the other stories. Uh, Maybe because they are uh, in a sequence.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, I mean, like the characters that... Do you ever stop and think about some characters from the earlier books and ever wonder what they're up to or what (laughs) they're thinking about or how they might react to a situation or something that you're working on now, oh, well, I'm glad I don't have to deal with so-and-so because he would have
1: really fucked that up. Not so much. Uh, It is an interesting proposition. I think my mind is spinning so fast I don't have time to... Or bandwidth. Or bandwidth to go back and and resurrect characters, although I might like to someday. And, And certainly this is my first foray into that with these Riley stories, like... The one you referring to, the end is, is, is only a beginning, which was in the New Yorker two months ago, whenever it was. Yeah, uh, I like that. I like it feels comfortable. And it would be a, a story collection sometime in the future where you, the stories are separate, but you keep getting the same character, like in Winesburg, Ohio, for instance, oh, although yeah. I don't think there'll be other points of view. It'll simply be the one character's point of view nice yeah
0: Sherwood Anderson I remember that book Mm -hmm. yeah Theodore Dreiser I mean that was a great age for American literature wasn't it
1: well yeah it was pre-TV TV (laughs) TV put a nail in our coffin I remember
0: uh, Theodore Dreiser Carrie how that book just changed my mind about the possibilities of writing and just the empathy it's like uh, exercise and empathy agreed to get into these characters
1: and, and outrageous for its day uh I love the book. I've read it a couple of times, especially when I've written uh, historical novels mm-hmm. uh, set in the uh, uh, early late nineteenth and twentieth uh, Yeah, and early twentieth century, uh, he's been invaluable to I me. Mean, the Road to Elville for instance, uh, is one set in that period, in which I would reread yeah. Sister Carrie, and oh, it, also it gives you mm. an idea of uh, how people sp- talked for dialogue mm. in those days and what expressions they used. Um when I was writing Drop City about the hippies Oh man, that book uh, give give me the heebie jeebies. <laughs> I realized that uh the expression out of sight out of sight, man, out of mm-hmm. sight was an expression used in the nineteenth century. I think I found it in Dreiser. Really? Yeah. And it's it meant the same expression. thing. Out mm. of sight. You know, it's mm. Far out, it's amazing man. Far out. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so, these things circulate in a way that it seems like people would read that and think, well, Jesus, this is an anachronism. But in fact...
0: It was part of the it happened. The vernacular. Yeah. 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 So, um, yeah, well, Road to Wellville, that was a weird guy. Kellogg, he was just... I don't even know how to describe that. uh you think it was projection with him with all the masturbation and stuff?
1: That he would just... Are you talking about Kinsey or Kellogg? Kellogg. Kellogg. Uh, there was a wonderful book a friend gave to me called The Nuts Among the Berries by Arnold Deutsch, hmm. now out of print. It was a kind of hilarious history of the health food movement. And that's what got me going. Mm-hmm. And the friend is Kevin McCary, who is a filmmaker. And he said, uh, "You're going to find something in here that you're going to love, but don't write about Kellogg because I think I might want to make a film about him." I said, "Okay, no, no problem." But as I read about them all, they were all nuts. C.W. Post, they were—they oh, yeah. were way out there. Graham, Sylvester Graham. Oh yes. And they're wonderful. Well, he was a wonderful His Kids
0: to wear wear gloves or yeah. strap them in. Something.
1: Yeah, yeah, wonderful characters. <clears throat> but um, Kellogg took over for me, so I. I told Kevin when I was writing a book, well, you know, I'm sorry, I'm going to write about this. But when it's done, I'm going to give you a big, big, and he said, check. I said, no, credit, credit, credit. <laughs> yeah. And I did. You know, it's he gets a credit for, for well, that's turning me on to it. it. Yeah, yeah. Money just gets spent.
0: Credit that's you know, <laughs> perennial.
1: Good. I'll tell him <laughs> next time I see him.
0: Yeah, I mean, you can go pick that up right now and look at it.
1: Yeah, true. Yeah.
0: So, what is your practice like? I'm really curious. How? What's your exercise like? What's your routine? Your writing routine?
1: Okay. So, I'm very regular. If anybody wants to assassinate me, they know exactly where I'll be at a given point of time, uh, to the to the minute. Well, I'm not going to disclose your location. Totally so, <laughs> no, I mean, described. you know, when I was teaching, you <clears throat> could see me. Uh, you know, where I'm going to be at eleven o'clock, and you know, where I'm going to be at eleven twenty-five, and so on. I love to have uh, a schedule because uh, and a repetitive schedule and a shtick and a routine because it makes me more productive so uh, I am to bed exactly at 1130 to the minute hmm. and I sleep straight through and I'm up exactly at 6am then I take a walk lately I've been walking on the beach a this morning wow it was Butterfly amazing beach. down there at 630 on East Beach it was still black dark and completely fogged in and it was wonderful hmm. Then I'll put her around and my uh, breakfast, read the newspaper, clean up after my wife, of course. And uh, then the 15-minute nap, that shuts the, the computer of my brain down. Then it's to work. That's your meditation. Yeah, and then it's to work. And i uh, usually done by around two or so, depending on what stage I'm in of mm-hmm. writing something. You know, Do you when have you,
0: a word count or anything? No, or? I don't. I don't. No.
1: When I get tired, I stop. I know that you know there's time to come and it takes a while for things to gestate. But when I get towards the end of something, I might work all day because I'm so excited to see what it's going to be. Yeah. It's a slog with a long, long book. And one of the most difficult things is maintaining the tone mm-hmm. over a long period of time and your enthusiasm for it as well.
0: Yeah, well, what was that great Stephen Pressfield book, the, the War of Art? Are you familiar with no. that? No, his his premise is you just got to sit down and do it. It's a job. It's a craft. None of this waiting for the muse or the inspiration. You just stick it out. Well, it's that, but it's also we're
1: talking about my essay, this monkey, my back. You want to do it, uh, because there's such great joy in creation mm-hmm. itself, and it's such a miracle when it finally works out and again you want to do it again and again whenever you have something that's pleasurable you want to do it again and again and you're just hooked on it
0: well the um i don't know who 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 said it but they phrased it i hate writing but i love having written
1: (laughs) well to everybody who hears this will have had the experience of writing something whether that's a paper in school or an essay for the newspaper or whatever it is Uh, it's always difficult to get yourself in the chair and in the mode and doing it. Uh, Some days I go backwards. And of course, the way I progress is I read what I've done the day before and make little adjustments and go Mm -hmm. over and over. it, And that kind of puts you into the unconscious mode where finally you're not really aware that you're doing it, but you are doing it. It's a, yeah. and it is a job and you're invested in it and you're <clears throat> deep in it in a way that you can't do with your conscious mind entirely and this is why it's difficult to get to it but once you're into it uh, time goes by you don't even know mm-hmm. where you've been the, the fabled flow state
0: exactly yeah what about um, research because I find in my you know my job as an editor and publisher I Procrastinate under the name of research. Mm. Have you found yourself doing that?
1: Yeah, I, I think a lot of novelists or would-be novelists fall into the trap of loving the research so much that they forget that there's a purpose behind it. Um, I got to know uh, Yale Doctorow, Ed Doctorow, uh, for a bit. Oh, we right. were on stage together a couple of times, probably in the 1980s. And he was talking to the audience and he said something like that, you know, because he only wrote historical novels. And they
0: were deeply researched. Yes, yes. I mean, that's where I learned about Stanford White and Evelyn Nesbitt and these great
1: scandals of that era. Wow. Exactly. And he said essentially what what you're saying, that uh, you have to realize that there's a purpose to the research. It's not that you're going to rewrite the history in your own way. You're going to write a novel. And you have to stop procrastinating. At a certain point, you've got enough material. I have notebooks. I fill a notebook. I might work for months uh, reading historical sources Mm -hmm. when I'm writing an historical novel or even uh, a novel like like the one we're discussing today, Blue Skies. I needed to know a lot about biology and insects and things like that. All fascinating, all note-taking, and that period is fun. But I'm always eager to get to the writing itself. And at a certain point, enough research, and the writing begins. And of course, you can always do more research as the novel goes in a direction that you wouldn't imagine. And by the way, the Internet is a huge boon to us writers uh, because we don't have to go to the encyclopedia anymore or go to the library. uh, And we can find uh, any information about anything uh, that is uh, realistic and accurate for the most part
0: at our fingertips mm-hmm.
1: yep it's quite impressive
0: yeah so uh, you were mentioning well as i said i was hesitant to bring up what you're working on next but you you're well into it so
1: i am into a new novel uh a uh, contemporary novel uh And I'm thinking about the theme of uh, homelessness and homes and what it means to have a house and so on. Well, Uh, Tortilla
0: Curtain.
1: Tortilla Curtain was was about this, uh, yes, very much so, uh, as as one of its main motifs. Um, uh, This one, I just made a little discovery about it yesterday. I've just finished part one and begun part two today. Uh, I don't want to say too much about it, because it could go a different direction. Because I'm not exactly sure where it's going at this point. But it's 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 moving along. Yeah. And what I have in part one, I'm satisfied with. So we'll see.
0: Well, speaking about animals in the New Yorker, and it may have been the same issue that your most recent story was in. They had a great story about these sperm whales. In fact, I think it was Elizabeth Gilbert. Elizabeth that Colbert. Wrote a,
1: yeah. Elizabeth Colbert. Yeah, she's great. I, uh, I know her, and I love her did work. Did you read that story? Yes. About the... The
0: flotilla of killer whales around the pod of the sperm whales, and whether it was going to be a rumble. And there was like what 40 sperm whales lined up for this birth to take place. To, Beautifully to done. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Nobody's ever good. witnessed anything like that. She was just to have somebody with that level of skill to describe this situation was unprecedented.
1: Yes, really she's has. pretty wonderful. She also wrote the Sixth Extinction a couple of years ago. Uh, uh, Richard Leakey had written a previous book with that title on the same subject, but it's about uh, you know the fact that we're living in the Anthropocene and that we are seeing the massive die-off of so many thousands and thousands yeah, of species most to do with us. Yeah, entirely to do with us.
0: Yeah. Well, if you had one age that you'd like to go back to, or just to to witness. You mean geologic age? Yeah, or just bio, you know, animals and, you know, what would be... I I think it
1: would be a miracle to see the Earth as it was before we decimated everything. I mean, even two centuries ago, or even in the beginning of this century. Now, you know, one of the sad things for us all is that there are no... New vistas, everything has been trampled over and all the creatures are dead. But the richness and variety of of the biodiversity of life in previous centuries must have been quite extraordinary. Yeah, for
0: me it'd be the Pleistocene. I just love to see a woolly mammoth and mastodon and hmm. giant sloths and so forth. My former boss, well, really it was like my boss's boss, the newspaper company that I used to work for, he was a Sculptor did large bronzes, but he was just fascinated by that. And he lived in Southeast Arizona, which is a really gorgeous country, you know, Chiricahua mm. National Monument and that. Yeah. So you can imagine, like that was green and lush, you know, thirty thousand years ago.
1: I'll go back there with you because you forgot to mention cave women. Cave women. Yeah. Hmm.
0: What about cave women? <laughs> well, why not? The and, and Yeah. yeah, yeah, the yeah. With a I st- knew
1: a couple in hippie times.
0: Yeah. <laughs> Must be some fond memories. Yeah. <laughs> but, yeah, he, you know, the thing that was fascinating me about bronze is that's the most durable material is it, it can live for. It can exist for 25 million years can or it? something. That'll be the last trace. There was that book, I can't remember the guy's name, Uh, Wiseman wrote that book, The World After Us. Right,
1: yes, also wonderful. Yeah. Wonderful, wonderful. But his we wife is
0: also a sculptor. That's how... My boss and mentor, that's how he knew the family. And he's just like, that's him, man. That's all we're going to know about this world is going to be the sculptures
1: of Bob Wick and other people that work in brass. And, and uh, the trombones and tubas.
0: Oh, yeah, that's true. Yeah. There's <laughs> a lot of around. Bros. That'll be, that'll Imagine the last what it'd artifacts. be like trying to
1: trying to figure out what their what their purpose was, right? For, right, and plastic, of course, plastic will be there. Oh, I thought plastic broke down. I hope phthalates so. Phthalates. I and, hope so. Yeah, but it
0: stays so. in the system, though. It's like
1: yeah. These but how cool chemicals. about brass? I didn't realize that. I yeah. could see, you know, uh, just twenty five billion years, just a bunch of trombones lying around. In a, in a heap
0: <laughs> and who knows what's what's going to be there hopefully it'll be somebody a little more attuned to the rhythms of the earth than we are we're well, not like what, not locuses like what we are what
1: species will take over a lot of biologists or futurologists whoever they are I think it will be the rat the, the rat, rat's huh. got those fingers you know who knows oh they become and prehensile smart they are
0: smart yeah hmm. And they're also very cooperative creatures too. Are they? Yeah, I think they've you know well you've heard about those rat kings where they get their they've linked their tails together and make these big balls. I don't know if I should I just remember some image of that to rat king. It sounds like fiction to me. No, I think it actually there are these really? rats that get their tails entwined and do purposely? No, I don't know if it's purposely or not. I don't know what's going on.
1: Well, I have a lot of rats here. And I transport them. You got the little uh, roof rats or what do they yes. call Yes. Yeah, they're adorable and they're smart. <clears throat> I'll ask the next one when I catch.
0: Have a chat with them. Yeah. Yeah. Now on your, Inst- not Instagram, your uh, Twitter feed, you mm-hmm. often post some of like your, like didn't you have a baby rabbit or something that your cat brought in? or?
1: Once, but it's mainly rats. I don't want to kill them. I don't. I like killing them, poison of course poisons the whole world. So yeah. I transport them up into the chaparral. I know this is wrong, but there's—I don't know what else to do. I'm not going to kill them myself. In one of my short stories that was in the New Yorker, um, uh, uh, called "The Fugitive," uh, it's a Mexican guy who is working for a boss in a place like Montecito with the great estates. And one of their things is not just cutting the lawn. They have to get rid of the pest animals, whether that be possums or raccoons Mm -hmm. or whatever. And so they catch them and have a heart traps. The reason being that the animals are too smart to be in a a snap trap, you know, because once Uncle George is caught there, then they see that. Yeah, there's some impression. Anyway, what are they going to do with these animals they've caught? And it is the cruelest thing. They just fill up a trash can with water.
0: Drop the cage in
1: it. Oh, man, that's awful. It's so horrible. I've heard about people
0: doing that to a litter of of kittens that they couldn't uh, manage. There's got to be a better one.
1: Inhumane. So horrible. I can't even imagine it. So, uh, again, I take them up into the chaparral and let them go. And uh, Hmm. I'm sure the coyotes are very happy about that. And the owls.
0: Yeah, I have a friend in Ojai on her motion camera, caught a you know, she had infestation of raccoons and just didn't want to hurt them or whatever, oh. but they were they, they're invasive, they get into everything but then she caught a mountain lion walking by with a raccoon in its mouth, and just trotting by and she goes, oh, well, problem solved <laughs> yeah, yes, yes, indeed they eat them, yeah, that's how, how,
1: the, how the system works, or is meant to work. So my novel, When the Killing's Done, which is about Santa Cruz Island, and the removal of the oh, invasive the species yeah. has to do with all, all of these things we're talking about today. It's a remarkable story. The true story, which I told, uh, It would take us uh, six weeks for me to tell it on the air, though. Uh, but it is quite amazing with regard to uh, how we have brought creatures to places where they don't belong mm-hmm. and what the result is. Rarely good. Rarely good.
0: Yeah, and it seems like every time we try to Fix one problem, we end up with you know Australia and the rabbit-proof fences. And
1: another story I wrote years ago is called Question Sixty Two. Question Sixty Two was uh, on the ballot, a proposition on the ballot in Wisconsin some years ago, and here it was: Cats, house cats, are an invasive species, and mm-hmm. they kill off millions, millions, millions of tens birds. of millions of birds, and here. so songbirds. That's right, and so. The proposition is this: Should they be shot on sight without a bag limit, as nuisance animals, you know, like like gophers and rats and so on? Um, that was put up for the voters in yeah, Wisconsin. Varmints and varmints, yeah, they varmints. And uh, and to a degree, this is this is true, of course, uh, but. In my telling, anyway, the uh, the kitty lovers and the kitty litter manufacturers and so on—they were all opposed to it, and it of did course. not pass. Yeah, was it close? I don't. But I don't remember. remember. Uh, it's become fiction for well, me now, you know, since yeah. I've written the story. The story, the fiction takes over for the real world for me.
0: I'll bet you just like pick up the thread. hmm Yeah. Well, the, um, you know, the the wildlife and our interference with it and especially blue skies, you really, you know, paint this vivid picture of what how it just kinda of slips away from us in these catastrophic weather events and, and It's triggering for me. I I was here for the fire and in the mudslide and I remember all too well what that felt like with a sky so so dark and ashy and you know in the drought like you didn't know if it would ever rain again.
1: Mm. But we have to go on with our lives which is why I wrote Blue Sky. Yeah. Um, Great scenes of people
0: you know having to like the lady having to get her skiff to get to the where she'd park her car because the roads were flooded and yeah. these king tides. And my favorite wow. scene
1: is when Kat you know slightly looped is coming back from the bar one night and the king tide has come in and she's got a you can't take the car because it's all flooded, so she's walking, it's like a mile from the bar to her house, and she's in the deep water, and sloshing along and mm-hmm. she realizes that there's an alligator sloshing along oh, with it. Yeah. And then in the new comic scene she's, you know, she wonders, well, how fast do they go? Can they swim? And they, Is it angling, they, they, angling toward me? Yeah, is it angling I had a lot of fun with that, with those yeah. concepts.
0: Well, I love the the books. You know, there's a darkness to your work, I'm sure there sure is. is. Oh, yeah. But the humor makes it bearable, I think. Well, uh, it's a leavener. You. Thank yeah. you. Yeah. But to be funny like that,
1: in that sort of situation? I
0: mean, how do you get yourself in that frame of mind? Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, everything uh, is very dark uh, in human life and getting darker because there are eight billion of us, and all the ecological problems we've been talking about are foremost uh, in my mind, and there's no solution. Everything just is going to get progressively worse until we collapse into, um, oh God, pre civilization.
0: Well, wait a minute! Isn't there a Filipino billionaire gonna <laughs> fill the skies with sulfur dioxide? Oh, yeah, you
1: know my work. An artificial well. uh, yes, Mount
0: that, Pinatubo. And that
1: does happen in the book too. Yes, yeah. uh, and it is conceivable, and there have been talks about. Yeah, there was uh, that
0: uh, those those guys that do uh, Dubner and uh, the uh, goodness gracious the, you know I'm totally blanking on it, but the weird things that happen that we don't expect like. You know, uh, goodness gracious, it was Stephen Dubner, and he writes a column for The New Yorker. But he was talking about how do we address climate change and all these different... There's more than one way to create that albedo effect that cools Mm -hmm. the earth. It creates a sunscreen. But, you know, these big cannons shooting... Sulfur dioxide, just just the scale of that, and I guess it isn't really that. That doesn't really take that much. No, but
1: it doesn't. How much would it? And in my telling, in the in Blue Skies, we get that towards the end that, you know, a a Filipino billionaire decided on his own to do this to cool the Earth off. As as for instance, when Pinatubo blew off, the Earth was cold for two years. Uh, It's just a, a shade but you know mm-hmm. how much and who is going what to agree the, to do it and knock so on effects and I had so much fun with it in the book that I've written a new story called Cold Summer in which uh, the same guy De Los Santos has set oh, up wow. this and now I'm dealing a little bit more with the consequences of that the, which I didn't have time bad. for or it was peripheral to what I was yeah. doing in Blue Skies so I've written a short story about it it's not published yet it's, it's, it's new uh, I just didn't want to leave that concept yet
0: yeah, well, it's fascinating because we're going to it seems like there will have to be some kind of intervention, geoengineering, at some point.
1: that's what it yeah. is.
0: But the idea or the hubris of that, you know,
1: the of the hubris the Icarus, but how, how, effect. That's right, the Icarus effect, but how it will how many things could go wrong, you know? Come on, the weather is crazy enough as it is right now. Mm-hmm. Uh, what country would put this stuff up uh, how did the rest of them feel what if it's not raining in mm-hmm. my country but it's raining in yours i mean it will be a recipe for further Conflict. disaster yeah yeah
0: well what's going on now i mean i don't have great hope it doesn't seem there's no easy solutions that's for sure
1: yes but at yeah. this moment you and i sitting here we have great joy Yes, That's and we're well. Faith. Well,
0: thank you again. I mean, this is what a treat for me. I mean, uh, you're one of my favorite living well, writers. Thank just, you.
1: But we have a, a life out. that is 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 rather idyllic. Yes, at any moment, it, it, we, the place can burn down, or we could have the next mudslide. Uh, but compared to what's going on in other regions of the world at the moment, it's pretty idyllic here. It, it has to be idyllic in order for art to even exist. Mm-hmm. You know, you have to have the time uh, and the freedom of mind to focus on art, and
0: not just be grinding on survival.
1: Yes, yes. Yeah. So I feel blessed.
0: Yeah. Well, what was I going to ask about the? Um, well, to back to your, um, how, how do you get your work published? I mean, like, when did you going back to the early days? When did you know you were going to be a writer? And how did you make that happen? Uh, I mean, so
1: many people just assume. Well, I was fortunate. So a lot of the students I had over the years at USC, they're geniuses. Uh, They knew from an early age, children, that they were going to be writers. I didn't know anything about that. I was, uh, you know, a a good kid, but also sort of on the the slacker side of things, Mm -hmm. uh, the wise guy side of things. Um, I wanted to be a musician in my teens, and I played saxophone and clarinet. I went to oh, right. a music school, SUNY Potsdam. However, I flunked my audition. I could play the hell out of the instrument, but I didn't have a sense of the rhythm or the type of music they yeah, expected us the to play. play. It went until a couple of years later when I got into rock and roll and got in a band and all of that, that I actually could do music. At any rate, here I was in a liberal arts college, and I declared a his, history major because I always loved history. And the second year, we had a short story class, American short story. I uh, discovered Flannery O'Connor, and I declared a double major oh, in history and English. Oh, Flannery O'Connor. So you with lupus, right? Yes. And in my third year, I uh, <clears throat> blundered into a creative writing class, and I realized that that was my métier. That's what I loved. That's what I wanted to do. That was the possibility of life. And I've followed it ever since. Now, I have to say that in those early years, uh, I didn't follow it directly yeah. <laughs> because I had a lot of growing up to do, which involved uh, women and drugs primarily. But I was always uh, reading and mm-hmm. keeping my hand in and beginning to write stories. So uh, to further answer your question, uh, I just began to send them out to magazines uh, on my own, unsolicited, and by a great miracle, one of them was accepted for oh, publication really? in the North American Review. Okay, That gave reputable. me the confidence to apply to the Iowa Writers' Workshop, which was the only one I'd ever heard of. Mm-hmm. And they accepted me, and I went there. And, uh, is escaped. that transformative? Yeah, I stayed there for my PhD, and uh, the reason I'm here today is because... USC gave me a job as a professor, assistant professor, and it was been, it's been great, this is my whole life now.
0: Yeah, there, what did you want to be when you grew up, when you were a kid? Did you have some ambition for something? A musician. Wanted to be a rock, and ro- a be rock
1: star? A, no, a jazz musician like John Coltrane, who was my hero. <sighs> he is the first figure whom I understood to be a great artist, making great art they tell you in school that so-and-so was a great artist and maybe so, maybe not, but you can't... It might not speak to you exactly. Mm-hmm. But he spoke to me. I don't know how or why, but uh, I listened to the same music that I was listening to when I was 13, 14 years old. Today, or even today, uh, you know, while I'm working, I'm listening to Coltrane. Classical music also. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, who's and, are
0: some of your favorite composers?
1: Um, Borodin. Oh, Borodin's, yeah. Borodin's... The uh, second uh, string quartet is my, my mm. one of my favorites. I listen to a lot of vocal music too. I was listening earlier to to the Requiem, Mozart's Requiem. Sometimes oh, yeah. I just listen to that on a loop all the time. Well, if you like choral
0: music, if you ever listen to Barber's Adagio for Strings, yeah, of course. With, yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh my! Yeah. I didn't with the. It was I think it was the. LA Men's Choir, or something, did a recording like 20 years ago that just, I just didn't really understand the power of
1: choral music. It was better than instrumental music, I felt. I love it too. I, I think uh, uh, the thing I missed most during the pandemic was no live music.
0: Oof. What about the Ohio Music Festival? You ever pop in there? I've never been there, no. Uh, you have a standing invitation? When is it happening? Second week of June. And, well, last year they had Rhiannon Giddens, who was the music director, not just a performer, although she performed the whole weekend. But what a great program. She won the Pulitzer for her opera about this slave. He was an Islamic scholar from Niger, or from Senegal, who was taken into captivity and just, you know, a field hand. Nobody understood that he was you know extraordinarily literate in hmm. arabic until he was locked up or something for some malfeasance and he just took a charcoal stick and wrote you know the script all over the walls and it happened that one of his new owners not the old owner was recognized what was going on and he really uh, had a second career as a as a writer
1: fascinating story when did this take place uh, 1820s to the 1850s. I was just a kid back then. I barely yeah, remember it. sure. <laughs> we all were young. That's back when uh,
0: yeah, you were learning the brass. But jazz is a great metaphor for just a lot of things because of the give and take, you know? And yes. Just where it goes and the, the inspiration and the flow of it. Mm-hmm. But I think the trading back and forth
1: absolutely Uh, but of course i never participated in anything like that uh the closest i came was uh, for a brief period i was in a rock and roll band as the singer of the band and it was the only time in my life aside from being a kid in the orchestra or whatever in which i was doing something in conjunction with other people Mm -hmm. my job is completely solitary yeah and I've never participated with anybody else in anything or tried to do anything with anybody else cooperatively. Um, it's my fault. I can't cooperate. I don't want to listen to other people. I don't want to hear, have advice. Don't want to I don't want to cooperate. I just want to do what I'm going to do. Mm-hmm. But that was wonderful. Where you're making something with somebody else, it was really great. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, of course, I've never done it since. I, sure, I could join a choral group and feel that. And I love that, I love the idea of it. But of course, I'm not going to do that because. Did
0: you write songs? Or were you a no, no, no,
1: no, 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 hmm. no. Just cover cover songs. Just covered, just cover songs. Hmm. Just scream my guts <clears throat> out. Uh, you can listen to my version of "I Put My Spell on You" at tcboyle.com. Oh, nice. It will make the hackles stand up on the back <laughs> of your neck in a good way. Yes, I think yeah? so. I think so. Nice. Uh, um, it was very exciting, but. I was already embarked on the writing career by the time that came along, and uh, thank God because if I had been in a bar band for the rest of my life, I'd I would be wouldn't have a rest of my life. I'd be long dead.
0: You'd be like one of your characters in uh, yeah. blue skies that just uh, start drinking at noon, yeah. or even earlier. Like I was getting triggered by that. I'm like, it was. It's a good like. Okay, I'm not. I was thinking. Oh, I will get a bottle of. <laughs> through the weekend sorry I'm if, like, no, sorry if not. I had that
1: effect on you but no it would, it's good it'll be good It's Anonymous to, yes they'll, yeah. they'll love to see you there mm-hmm. uh, I come from a long distinguished line of alcoholics and um, uh, the whole idea of addiction as we said earlier about this monkey my back I'm channeling it into my work yeah. rather than into my veins you know Uh It's kind of, literature kind of saved me from that whole drug scene in New York. Going to Iowa from New York saved me. Um, It was also a process of of growing up. Yeah, it was also a process of growing up. By then I was 25 and I saw what I could do and what I wanted to do. Mm -hmm. Uh, I often said, even in the day, to be a junkie, you have to want to be a junkie. That is, you have nothing else in your life Oh, that's a well. uh, Lou Reed
0: song there, Waiting on the Man. Yeah. That's it, man. Twenty dollars in your hand.
1: That yeah. really
0: scares me about addiction because I've I've felt the tickle of it from time to time. Mm. Just you know, I mean
1: We've made it this
0: far. Yeah, cheers. This <laughs> <Fist> bump. <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. Well, it is gotta be channeled. It's there. You can't do anything about it. It's going to be there. It's just you got to find a way I to... found a channel for it. Yeah. I'm so
1: happy because... Uh, Was the there a condition... bottom? Did you have a no, high no, bottom? No, no, no. Nothing like that. No. The conditions of life uh, with our consciousness are so grim. The reality of what we do and what we are and how completely useless everything is, uh, is a big burden for everybody really? to carry all the time. Are you a
0: closet nihilist? Or maybe not even closet.
1: I'm a humanist. I believe in art. I believe in education. I believe in helping the next generation. So all there's that. Trans-
0: transcendental experience,
1: transcendent, and I do. I do mm-hmm. I like the transcendentalists. I believe in nature. Nature is my god. All of that, but still, at the bottom of it, of human life, is there is absolutely nothing. There's just death. Life is only to produce more life. That's all it mm-hmm. is. There's no other purpose, no other meaning. Yeah. Uh, unlike the other animals, the other animals, the other animals just live and die. We have to contemplate it, and I think this is why we need drugs and art to change our consciousness. It's just a huge burden all mm-hmm. the time to stare into the abyss. Yeah, yeah. You sound like Schopenhauer now,
0: almost. Not that there's anything wrong with that. He was brilliant, <laughs> but yeah, wasn't that story about him? Will and Power, you've spent 10 years working on that book and staked this whole career on it, and sold four copies.
1: Mm. Yeah, well, we all have to get through the day and get through the night. And I've been, again, fortunate. I have a family. I have a love. I have a, a dog. I have everything. House-sitting yeah. house right. a cat. House-sitting a cat right in this very quiet one. He's, right yeah, this, he's high house. High uh, <clears throat> All that is good, but... We all, artists and non artists alike, mm-hmm. have the trouble of the human condition and the human consciousness to burden us. And also the mad- maddening fact that we don't know why we're here or how we got here or what existence is. Uh, we create religions to explain that. Uh, but it's utterly unsatisfying to anyone who is rational.
0: It is hard. I think there is something to religion at least as a pattern. You know, not that you necessarily I don't. I just can't wrap my We on some we need ghost tape an in
1: the sky. I just We can't need an there. answer. That's mm-hmm. what it is. It's the same thing with the strongman politics. We need someone Big to daddy. tell us, yeah, yeah, to tell us what it is. But if you're rational, you realize that it's all a bunch of bunk. And you have to find your own meaning. And my meaning is through art and through being alone in nature. I don't hike mm-hmm. with other people. I don't want to see other people. I want to be alone in nature. And almost every day I find the opportunity to do that. Um, uh, and, and again, I have the family. I have everything going. It's great. And yet still, we, we create art, I think, out of the confusion of, of what human existence is all about and human consciousness yeah, there's an
0: Edvard Munch um, retrospective or something going on now. And it's just, I didn't check it out. I mean, it was in New York, but just the panels that I saw of how there's that face, you know, that whole void. But it shows up in all, most of it. You can find traces of it throughout his whole, his whole career. But it's like not always that, existential despair or I don't even know how to that inchoate scream it's like I don't know it's like the different expressions of it that he goes through it's brilliant I never I didn't really understand what a great artist he was till I saw how many manifestations of that feeling how he was working at it how he's always working at it
1: well I have joy you know we didn't talk about joy joy is the opposite end of despair And uh, it's always a balancing act with with everybody, I guess. Is that an act of principle, Joy? Do you have to make it? I think you just feel it. Hmm. It just happens.
0: You don't have to set yourself up for it through your practice or your craft or a meal with your family or a smile from a pretty girl or anything? No. No, 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 no. It's going to be
1: there. It's not... It's hormonal, I think. And that's another <laughs> depressing thought. You know, we think that we're above the other animals and that we are in charge of our mm-hmm. lives and we're going to do this, we're going to do that. But really, you look at uh, the average life and it is just like the life of the birds and the, uh, and the coyotes and the rats. Uh, you know, I thought we thought of hippies we thought we invented sex and our parents didn't know anything about that we mm-hmm. we invented living together we invented love of nature all that but no you know it's just a process of uh, of growing up through teenage years and the wildness and the the, the drugs and the cars uh, romancing women Having then be, well what's the purpose of it? Well, you have more life then you have babies and and, and and now you're old and here you are talking into a microphone mm-hmm. <laughs> it's it's not it's mechanistic it's it's almost preordained you know this hmm. is just the way of all animal life and the depressing thing is this the end of animal life which is coming you don't think the earth's just gonna shake us off like a flood? like a Horde of locusts. I like to say to my audiences, because it's so depressing sometimes, these conversations, that uh, the good news is in about three and a half to four billion years, the sun will swell up and toast this planet till it's like a charcoal briquette floating in space. That's the good news. (laughs) So you don't think that's going to just like the
0: Maxwell's law of energy conservation isn't going to just... Pop out somewhere else and start itself all over again. Maybe so, or uh, what was it, uh, Ulysses? He talked about what did they call that, metempsychosis? Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. my mig- transmigration of souls and so right. forth.
1: Yeah, it sounds like a, a more religious nonsense to me, but I, well, hope, it's well, <laughs> I, I mean, hope it's I true. Well, I certainly hope it's
0: true. Joyce figured out his way through it is just through that scientific notion of you know the conservation. Madam Blavatsky. Madame Irish Blavatsky. Whiskey. Oh, yeah, she was a And was Irish a Whiskey. What's the connection between Madame Blavatsky and Irish Whiskey? I
1: must have missed that. Well, these are the things that got him through life and get us oh, through gotcha. life. Oh, gotcha.
0: Yeah, sure. Yeah. What a character. Just, you know, there was like reading that book and trying to figure out like where. I did it. I read Ulysses. I've tried like four or five different times. Couldn't get through it. And I finally made myself. I just, you know, as I'm having my coffee, I've got my pitch an island and i just put prop the book open and i just like read a few yes, pages I, while I'm I, waiting for their copy. I
1: have read Ulysses in my time maybe even twice over the years. I lived in Ireland for a while and I remember going back to Joyce. Um, it's great. It's wonderful. It's hilarious. Yeah. It's funny. It's. But, you know, um, I was finding stuff radical. in there that
0: I thought was like I didn't know how current he was. Like he, you know that uh, what was that Jungian principle anima and animus? Do you know that? Like uh, no. men who have Feminine well, we all have feminine characteristics as men and women have masculine characteristics mm. and Young thought it was like the shadows of our parents or something. You know, our opposite sex parents. But he had that scene where what was the prostitute? Bella Bella Cohen turns into a man and the Buck Mulligan character I think turns into a woman and it was just like a bearded woman and then eventually he becomes attractive. But it was like that going through that whole phase, just the the gender the gender roles and i don't know i don't know yeah, I don't I remember that, that actually well it's only been like a couple of years since i read it and yeah. really stuck with me but yeah there's this well let's uh we can wrap start wrapping up now but i definitely want to hear what you're reading now like what are your inputs what are you watching and what are you reading
1: what am i reading now
0: oh it's always a tough question because yeah, yeah. you're. I'm reading it's hard to things. Think.
1: It's always hard to read novels when you're reading novels, but uh, when you're writing a novel, because you don't want another voice to, to creep in. But mm-hmm. I've been reading Ketsia lately. His his new book, The Pole, oh, is yeah. devastating. It's a beautiful book. It's uh, I love his ar- his aridity, a- uh, and so I've gone back and read some of the other books. Um, Scandal. Did you read that? No, I haven't.
0: Oh, it's it's great. It's just you talk about the banality of the world and life he gets at it he gets at it just
1: i haven't i, haven't I mean even this guy has an, like he has oh, a, he good. has an
0: affair but then he ends up having an affair with this woman who is just available there's no, nothing going on and just that just i don't know like a, well
1: disgrace is his great masterpiece oh no no, no. disgrace sorry I don't know why I disgrace. Thought scandal. Disgrace is is my favorite, one of my favorite novels of all time, and quite brilliant. I've read it several times. Uh, also, Age of Iron is another mm-hmm. huge favorite of mine, and so um, I just have been rereading him lately to uh, give me a kind of mm-hmm. basis. Uh, not for what I'm writing exactly, but it's something I can read while I'm writing, whereas you can't read many writers while you're writing a novel because you don't want the voice to creep in. To creep yes. in. He's, he's distant enough. Yeah, well, so I'm, I'm reading Arida, Elizabeth Costello now, which I never read, which is... Uh, hmm. uh, I, I, there are lectures within it that the characters hmm. are giving, and I pres- I'm guessing that these are lectures that he's given... And now he's wrapped them into this fiction. Uh, It's fascinating, though. And I'm really loving it. I'm almost at the end. I don't know what I'll do when I get to the end of it.
0: Don't you hate it when you come to the end of a good book? Yeah. I've done that. Like uh, Murakami's uh, 1Q84. Mm -hmm. It took me 10 years to read the last, like, 20 pages. But you did. I did. While I was camping, I had a stack of stuff. And I just, like, I'll I'll do it now. It's like, I didn't want I it like to end. I like your technique, camping. I didn't want What else to are end? you going to do while you're camping? Yeah, that's the best time to or read. Or on
1: the airplane. i got to go on the airplane next week. So uh, I need to have something to read, uh, many things to read, actually.
0: And what is your other reading habits, you know, just keeping up with the newspapers or the current events? I read the newspaper
1: and, every morning, and it... it makes me hate everything and everybody and feel so depressed. I just want to put a gun to the back of my head rather than go and write books. (laughs) Uh, Every night, you know, maybe I watch a movie with my wife or something. But every night, I've got a book and I spend an hour or two hours on a good day. It's relaxing. It's a good life.
0: Do you read three or four at a time? I do
1: read several books at a time, yeah. Yeah? Yeah. Any and, nonfiction you've read lately? That's oh, I, I love uh, nonfiction books, and especially when I'm writing fiction. Uh, but I don't know what can I say. I can't really think at this point of what. Well, I just my my office has a
0: one of those library carts oh, outside of it. The wager,
1: the wager. Hmm. David Grann's The Wager. Oh, that's the, fairly new, right? Yeah, it just came out. The wager is at about a bit. It's just the name of a ship. And this is about uh, you know the shipwreck and how they live and Mm -hmm. so on and it's pretty good stuff. Really, like
0: a Robinson Crusoe style, or more psychological.
1: It's historical fact, and he's he's run with it. And okay. it's a group of hmm, people who are it stranded, and it's, that
0: name sounds familiar. Has he written that? He's written some his, other he things.
1: Is, I've met him once or twice. He's a very nice guy, and he's gotten very lucky because Marnie Scorsese is. Oh yeah, the movie the flower, is coming the out. Flowers of the. And and of course the, the the wager is a much better book even than that, and I'm sure somebody mm. will make this into a great movie as well. Yeah, well, I'm looking forward
0: to seeing that movie. Yeah, me too. Anything else? Anything you've watched lately? That's. Uh, Sticks watched. Water well, uh, TV last night
1: I watched The uh, the Buffalo. The, oh, uh, the it's Ken part, Burns? Uh, Ken Burns, which is pretty fascinating. I knew much of the material, but uh, I couldn't imagine what he'd do for part two, except show how we saved the species after almost yeah, eliminating it. So down that was to 500
0: quite, individuals. Yeah,
1: it was quite fascinating for me because, as we've talked earlier in this conversation, One of the things that most interests me is biology and invasive species and extinction as well, which I've written about kind of obsessively over over my life. I know.
0: Uh, Buffalo fascinates me just because of the whole ecosystem. 2,000
1: pounds, six feet
0: tall at the shoulder. In millions. (laughs) Yeah. 12 to 15 million of them. Just seas of that and how.
1: And the ecosystem of the prairie and the prairie yeah. grasses and so on, which, of course, mm-hmm. is now all farmed and cattle. Yeah,
0: they call it uh, holistic range management. They're trying to duplicate the effects of, like, the wildebeest herds or the mm-hmm. buffalo herds mm-hmm. and how they move around, you know, in these rapid cropping cycles. The, yeah, It's fascinating. I'm hoping that we do get some kind of an open preserve for bison. It's one of my favorite meats. I just love bison meat.
1: I've never eaten it, and I don't eat much meat because... I don't like the cruelty involved. However, for my not eating meat, it's completely canceled out by my wife, who is a carnivore and eats everything, big bloody slabs of meat all day long day. <laughs> Goodness gracious. Yeah. Well,
0: um, I guess that's about anything else you want to talk about or any notes? Or?
1: Well, I want to say what a joy it is to meet you and to hang out. Yeah,
0: well... Same here, my goodness. This has been a real pleasure for me.
1: All right, Brett, thank you so much.
0: Hey, everyone, Brett Bradigan here. Just thinking out loud. Again, this is like, I don't know, maybe a third of the interviews that we have. As soon as I press the stop button to end the interview, then the real insights and conversation flows. I spent another hour with Mr. Boyle he signed a few books for me, gave me a tour of his remarkable Frank Lloyd Wright home, the very last of the Frank's Prairie Homes, built in 1909, right before he moved on to the blocks. Uh, hes I just can't, can't imagine a better steward for such a treasure of a home than T.C. Boyle. And if you go through his books, you'll see what respect and veneration he has for history even though he's not afraid to show people at their darkest. And again, as I've mentioned before, I think for a writer to get inside a character is so much more direct and impactful when they go in through their weaknesses and their flaws and their vulnerabilities than when they go through their virtues. And very few writers out there, I think he might be our generation's Mark Twain, are better at finding the comic absurdity at the heart of human nature. Anyway, I hope you enjoyed. That's it for this episode of Ojai Talk of the Town. We will keep an ear out for you.